If you would, let's grab our Bibles and let's go to Matthew chapter 7 together this morning. Now, we teased this out on social media during the week. So most of you are probably going to know the answer to this. But do, does anybody know what the biggest cause of fights in a marriage or any relationship is? It's, you would think money, but it's actually miscommunications. Miscommunications create the biggest fights. Because sometimes you may think you said something. You may have actually said something, but it may not have been heard. Now, we, we understand these conversations. Most of the time, it goes this way, all right? Uh, the husband comes in and goes, honey, on Saturday, I, I want to go do this, you know, or us as a family go do this. And all of a sudden, she goes, we can't. Why? Because we got that thing. What thing? You know the thing I told you about. You didn't tell me about a thing. Yes, I did. See, it proves you just never listened to me, right? Ever had that conversation in your house? Um, here, here's the other miscommunication, okay? The other form of miscommunication is what you say is not what's here. Here's an example of that. A, a husband realizes his wife has been working very hard. They've both been running all over the place, not having a whole lot of downtime and things. And so he says, you know what, I'm going to do something nice. So he goes home and tells his wife, you know, honey, you've been working really, really hard for a long time. And you just kind of need a day where you can rest and take it easy. So I got you a special gift. I hired a cleaning service to come in tomorrow so you don't have to worry about it. Now, ladies, how would you react to that? You would probably want to hurt your husband. Now, He's going to go, wait a minute, I'm trying to help you. What you said, what your intention was, I want to help. What she heard is, I don't do a good enough job, so you have to hire somebody. It's a miscommunication. And I kind of wonder if sometimes we don't have similar miscommunications with God. Those times where what we're praying for isn't really what God knows is best. Or those times where he has told us what he wants us to do, but we keep fighting and we keep resisting. See, this morning as we talk about prayer, what we want to understand is that prayer is asking God to show us his will. Let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. If you would stand as we honor the reading of God's word together. It says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us into the truth this morning. And that, Lord, we would understand your word, so that we could go out and be obedient as you give us that ability. And so, Lord, we humbly ask that you would give ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. 
Again, prayer is asking God to show us His will. Now, this text here is Jesus teaching on prayer, specifically under the understanding of wisdom and discernment. The context actually begins back in verse 3 and talks about, you know, the the speck that's in your brother's eye, the plank that's in yours. And verse 6, it talks about don't cast your pearls before swine. And then Jesus says, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. And, and he gives a, a promise in verse 8 and then verse 9, 10, and 11, he gives us some analogies here. And so the place that we have to begin is really looking there in verse 11 where Jesus says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? And so the place that we have to begin this morning is with a basic understanding that God is good. That he desires what is best for us. He knows what is best for us. And so the purpose of prayer is not to get God to do our will, but rather so that we will know his will. And this requires the way we pray to be changed. Because oftentimes, when we go to the Lord in prayer, we bring a laundry list of wants, needs, and desires. We're excellent in asking the question, Lord, or really making the statement, Lord, will you give me this? Will you do this for me? We're quick to ask for what we desire, but rarely do we ask the right question. What's the right question, Lord? What's right according to you? What do you want in me, from me, for me? This is where Jesus is going because at first glance, verse 7 seems to kind of be in an odd location. Like, why would Jesus start talking about prayer when he's been talking about everything else before that? But this is what Jesus' point is. We need to pray for wisdom to know what to ask for. You know, later on in the the New Testament, Paul uh, says that, We don't know how to pray for what we really need. That's why God has given us the Holy Spirit to come alongside of us and to help us know how to pray. We need to learn to ask the right question. And that right question is, Lord, what is right according to you? Which then leads us to the second part of verse 7. Seek and ye shall find. See, being rooted in and grounded by God means that we are seeking him. We want to know him. More than wanting something from him, we just want to know him. And so we ask the right question so that we can seek his will. What is it that you're asking me to do? It's really an, a question of am I being honest with myself? Look there in verse 3. He says, and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the being that is in thy own eye? Jesus is saying, listen, 
you're focusing on everybody else's sin while ignoring your own sin. Why don't you ask the right question? The right question is, what is my sin? Lord, what are you trying to reveal to me? It's also still asking for God's will. He, He says, seek and you shall find. This is the understanding that as a disciple, my primary calling in life is to make disciples of all nations. And so, Lord, who is it that you are putting in my path that I need to point to you by sharing the gospel and living the gospel out in front of them? That's where he goes there in verse 6. He says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you or tear you to pieces. There, Jesus is going, listen, you need to ask what God's will is, and then you need to seek to do it. And sometimes that means that you're going to share the truth with somebody, and they're going to reject it, and instead of constantly beating your head uh, against that one wall, God is going, you know what? You've planted the seed. Come over here. Also for a disciple learning to discern between what is good and what is from God. There's a similar story in Luke chapter 10 with Jesus. He visits Mary and Martha. And when he shows up, Martha instantly jumps into service. Mary, on the other hand, goes and sits at Jesus' feet. That didn't set well with Martha. Martha becomes frustrated, and in fact, she blames Jesus. She, she says there in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to get up and, and help me. Martha's actually blaming Jesus for Mary's decision. Now, why is it that Martha was struggling here. See, Martha was actually doing what was expected of a host in those days. Make sure everything is neat and tidy. Make sure there's food being prepared and everything is, is ready. But here was the problem. Martha focused more on what she did for Jesus than who she was in Jesus. I kind of wonder if sometimes we don't fall into that same category. That if we don't get so busy serving and doing a lot of good things, that we forget to sit at the feet of Jesus and worship. That we get so busy doing a lot of really good stuff that we forget. Psalm 46 verse 10 that says, Be still and know that I am God. How can I seek God when I'm running from God or doing everything for God? We have to learn to seek Him and to allow Him to define our identity. So Jesus goes on there in Luke chapter 10 and He says, Martha... You are distracted with much 
serving. And then verse 41, he says, Martha, you're anxious about many things. Martha was so busy doing for Jesus that it created anxiety because she forgot to learn to trust Jesus. She thought she had to be doing everything and going 100 miles an hour 24-7 instead of just resting at the feet of Jesus and seeking him and his will. It's not that our service is unimportant to the kingdom of God. It's very important. We should be serving. But our service to the Lord should not replace our worship of the Lord. There's a reason that Jesus says there in the Old Testament, for six days you shall do work, but the seventh is a Sabbath of the Lord. God built into us to work six and rest one. Why? To remind us two things. Number one, he can be trusted because he will provide. And second, it doesn't all depend on us. If we're going to learn to seek and find, we have to seek to know the Lord and know what his will is. Because when we have misplaced priorities, it will lead to misaligned worship. If my worship is off, then everything about my life is going to be off. I have to be still. I have to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn of him and worship him and then learn to ask, what is your will? So that the third principle there is knock and it shall be opened unto you. Notice that While we have a responsibility, it is God who is doing every bit of this. And so when you and I pray, we need to understand that we are praying and asking God to do what only God can do. You and I ask, but he has to give. We seek, but he has to be found. We knock, but he has to open it. See, learning to pray means understanding I can't change this but God you can I don't know how to figure this out but God you already do I want to knock which means I want to do what God is asking me to do we want to ask the right question we want to seek him and, and his will And then we want to be obedient in doing it. Again, all this context starts all the way back in in verse 3 here. It is a prayer for discernment because a lot of times we get so busy doing good things that we forget to worship God and we forget to ask him, Lord, what what is it that you're calling me to do? It's possible to spend our entire life doing religious things and never really knowing our Lord and Savior. Hey, 
He says, if, if you, as, as evil people, as fallen sinners, know how to give your children good gifts, how much more does your father know what you need? You know, what, what, what's he talking about as he goes on there in verse 9? He says, or, or what man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? See, in, in those days, out in, in the desert areas, a lot of the stones looked like loaves of bread. Now, how many of you w- would mistake a stone for a loaf of bread? All right, well, well then he, he goes on and he says, or if he asks a fish, will you give him a serpent? See, eating a snake, that was an unclean animal. What do snakes and fish have in common? They both have scales. One is unclean, one is clean. You have to learn to ask, is this what you're asking me to do? Is this what I'm supposed to do? Why? Because we can settle for something that's not good and substitute it for what God has blessed We have to learn to knock. See, the things that you and I don't pray about are the things that we are trying to do in our own strength. The things that we take to the Lord in prayer, those are the things that we're saying, Lord, I can't, but you can. So let me just ask a question for you to ponder. How much did you try to do in your own strength this week? And how much did you cast to the Lord and trust him to figure out? See, if we're going to learn to do this, if we're going to learn to pray for wisdom and discernment to, to know what God is calling us to do and seeking him and making him known, then we have to learn to be intentional in prayer. Luke 18, 1 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 show us that our prayer life needs to be persistent and consistent. Prayer needs to be the first option, not the last resort. It should be something that we continuously are doing. We pray until the Lord answers. And by the way, no is an answer. You know, when my children come up and ask me, hey, Dad, can I? When I say no, that's not an invitation to come back in five minutes, five hours, five days, or five weeks. If you do, that's an invitation to get in trouble. No is an answer. And so we pray until God answers, and then it's time to respond. A lot of people wonder, why is it that I struggle to be consistent in my prayer life? Why is it that I'm only persistent when I really, really need something? I would answer that by saying it's because we have a wrong view of God. We often view God as a genie in a bottle that we can take down the lamp and rub it and he'll pop out and give us what we want. When it comes to consistency in prayer, it has to be developed out of a dependency on him. It begins with the attitude that, Lord, I can do nothing apart from you. John 15, 5. 
So how can I develop more consistency? I would say the first thing would be to get around those who pray. Pray with them. You're not trying to mimic or or copy what they pray. You're just listening to how they are speaking. It's a conversation with the Almighty God who also happens to be their father. Get around that that person who, who just truly prays and prays a lot and learn to pray with them and learn from it there. The second thing I I would really say is that poor praying is typically the result of poor planning. It's not that we don't have time to pray. It's we're Martha. We're so busy doing that we forget who we are. And so to that, I I would say for the next seven days, practice the seven-up prayer. You're looking at me kind of strange, like what is a seven-up prayer? For the first seven minutes, as soon as you get up, spend that seven minutes in prayer. Now, what's going to happen? It's going to develop a habit of beginning your day with prayer. Focusing that first seven minutes on who the Lord is, asking Him to guide the decisions you're going to make and the actions you're going to take that day. First seven minutes, devote it. Do nothing else. Don't grab for your phone. Don't turn on the the TV, nothing. First seven minutes. So that means most of us are going to have to adjust our schedule of what time we get up by seven minutes. One of the greatest ways that we learn to pray for the wisdom and the will of God is to learn to pray the scriptures themselves. Now, if you've been here six months or more, you've heard me talk about this uh, a lot, especially on Wednesday night. So I I want us to, to walk through this together. Regardless of what passage of scripture you're reading, you can learn to pray the Bible. Because remember, this is the mind, the heart, and the will of God. Right, So if it's in here, then it's important to God. And when we're asking, seeking, and knocking, we are asking, seeking, and knocking for what's important to him and maybe not our, <coughs> excuse me, our agenda. So what does it mean? What does it look like to actually pray through the scriptures? Well, the first thing that you would do is begin a time of praise. Asking this question, what do I learn about God in this passage? Well, the first thing that I see in verse 7 is he invites me to ask him. Do we understand the privilege that we have that the creator of all heaven and earth, the savior of those who trust him, invites us to come into his presence at any time for any reason? That ought to blow our minds. It's why David wrote the question, who am I? Who who is man that you are mindful of him? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace in our time of need, seeking his mercy. He says, come to me. 
First Peter 5 says, cast all your cares on me, for he cares for you. He says, ask me. So we should praise him that we can go and we can talk to him at any moment for any reason. We should praise him because he is powerful enough to give us what we need. Notice it says, ask and it shall be given you. This is Jesus saying, if you really need it, I'm going to give it to you. You don't possess it, but I do. Here you go. We need to praise God that he is powerful enough to give us what we truly need. We need to praise him because when we seek him, he will reveal himself. God is not playing some cosmic hide and seek. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And you shall search for me, and you shall find me when you search for me diligently with your whole heart. God wants you to know him. So we praise him that he can be found. We, we can praise him that he is powerful enough to open whatever door needs to be opened. So we learn to praise him for who he is. So it, it, it looks something similar to, Lord, I just want to thank you that I can come into your presence because of that shed blood of Jesus. I am your son. I'm your daughter. And you invite me to come to you. And you promise me that not only will you provide what I need, but that I will find you. Lord, I just want to thank you that you can open whatever door seems to be closed. And you'll open it at the right time. So we just spend a few moments there praising him. The second part of it is kind of a combination part. Is there a sin that the text is convicting us of or is there a promise to claim in this case Matthew 7 7 there's a little bit of both maybe we just need to be really honest that we haven't asked God before we've done a lot maybe we haven't really been seeking him see we like to have our plans and we want God to rubber stamp our plans but God does not exist for us we exist for God so maybe we need to, to just confess that, Lord, I haven't been seeking you the way I should, and I haven't been asking for your wisdom the way I should. And you can praise him because by the blood of Jesus Christ, he has already forgiven you for that sin. And so we confess it, but then we're, we're also saying, Lord, thank you that, that you've already forgiven me for this. Now, what's, what's the promise that we can can claim that God's going to provide what we need, that we're going to find him, and that whatever he's asking us to do, he's going to allow that to happen. These are promises that we can claim. And so we just spend a little time confessing our sin and thanking him for his promises. And then that leads to the third question that we ought to ask as we're trying to pray through the text, and that is this, Lord, what are you asking me to do? What specific steps are you asking me to do? And would you help me do it? Now this is the personal application for you. What is God saying to you in this verse? Is he going, I want you to come to me and trust me more. 
Are you, are you a Martha? Are you anxious about a lot of things? God says, come, talk to me. Is God saying, you need to start seeking me. Lay your plans to the side and seek me. Seek mine. Maybe for some of you, Jesus is saying, you need to seek me. Because you've been living for yourself. You have never bowed your knee before King Jesus, trusting that only his death and resurrection can save you. And maybe the seeking that needs to be done is not an answer to a prayer, but the surrender to a relationship. A relationship that can save you and will change your life. Maybe God is asking you to get off the sidelines and get into the work of making disciples. He's placed people all around you. People who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Who need to hear the good news of the gospel. That though they are dead in their sin, though they deserve to be cast away from the presence of God, his love is so great that he sent Jesus to die in their place. And you can share with them the testimony Maybe that's the door that God is saying, knock on this. I have sent you to people and you need to share. So what is it you're asking me to do, Lord? What is this text telling me? And then you end it just by praising him for loving you, for hearing your prayer and answering it in his time, in his way. And the good thing is you can do this with any scripture passage you read. What do I learn about God? Is there a sentence convicting me of a promise to claim? What is, Lord, what are you asking me to do? When we pray with, for wisdom and discernment that way, God says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be open to you. These are promises from God. But our prayer has to be to God and about his glory, not our plans. So what is God asking you to do? What do you need to ask him for? What do you need to seek? And what door is he opening? Would you stand as we're going to pray together? Father, I thank you for this morning.